We at Global Nomad Hacks are peace heroes. By playing Peace and Harmony program during this episode, we help create one million pockets of peace by dissolving stress and tension. To be your own peace hero and get your own copy, go to peaceandharmonydownload.com. Welcome back to Global Nomad Hacks. Today, I'm excited to introduce to you a dear friend of mine, Mary Ann Pierce, who is doing amazing things around the world with the digital world, and she has been doing it a lot longer than most of us. The reason I have her on this show is because she is a classic example of straddling two countries back and forth between Ireland and the U.S., and she is a true global nomad in every sense of the word. We even met in Warsaw, of all places, one of those places most people never get to, and I highly recommend it at some point. We had some good adventures there. Anyway, (laughs) welcome, Marianne. Oh, Heidi, it's so good to see you, and thank you so much for asking me on the show. So we had a lot of fun in our conversation on uh, Evolving Digital Self probably a couple of years ago now. And since launching this show, you kept on coming to mind because of all the wonderful tales that you told and you've shared with me over the years about your experience of really sharing your life between the two worlds of Ireland and the U.S. And the funny thing with that is a lot of people, because it's two of the same languages, although they're not fully the same language, they're both in English, people would assume that there's not a whole lot of difference there. And there is. There's a lot of difference, everything from culture to language to rules and regulations, et cetera, et cetera. And so I just wanted to have you on and have a little conversation about sort of what that has meant for you in your life and sort of how did you end up in a space where you were straddling these two worlds? Oh, it's such a great question because English is sort of like, you know, it's it's really the sort of like it's not the great unifier because there's many different types of English. And I'm going to go into that a little bit. I really, I grew up in an Irish American um, household. I'm here in Washington Heights. I'm, I'm a, my grandmother. I'm like two generations from the farm from my grandmother, my maternal side. My paternal side goes back to really potato famine, which was in 1847. And then a little after the civil war. So they were the Westies. They were the, the stevedores and the ones who ran ran Broadway because they did the ropes. And if, my father used to say they were either in Sing Sing or they were a Monsignor at St. Patrick's. So we're real old New Yorkers, that sort of like James Cagney type swaggers. And I wouldn't call them lace curtain. They were a little less than lace curtain. But I was, you know, always went back to Ireland when I was 15 with my grandmother. And it was just another place. It was very, very poor, very poor. They had horses, not tractors. There was an outhouse. There was no plumbing. And, you know, this was in the 70s. And it, the horse, I mean, the trash was picked up in Dublin by a horse and a, a big, big, you know, barge. And I go, what is that? Clap, 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 clap. They're picking up the garbage. And then we see this country completely pivot and modernize because of its EU, European Union, because it had been a dominated, colonized country for 800 years by the British. So they've really been an independent country for 100 years, but they're a modern country maybe for the last 20. So. It was really just by hazard. You know, I always had the affinity. I loved going back to the farm. I loved, you know, cows named for me. Let's go run around the fairy circles. That's, you know, the old rafts that they have there. But I really was in the arts. I was working at PS1, which was then not part of Museum of Modern Art, but it was really an international, in the old public school in Queens. The classrooms were sponsored by countries. So there was a Holland, there was Germany. And so Ireland both the North, North and the Republic of Ireland, 
we're going to send artists. So, of course, being Irish-American, they said, you need to be on the selection committee. And then once I got on the selection committee, the Irish council had just picked me and said, you need to work with us because we need to promote Ireland as a more modern country. And the arts in Ireland, it's not Mother McCree and cows, some very, very fine contemporary Sean Scully, you know, like Seamus Heaney. There's some fine, fine artists and women artists, too, that are, that are in, um, you know, in Maeve Vinci. So I said, yeah. So all of a sudden I got pulled into this orbit and it was just like, I never looked back. I never considered myself to be overly Irish. But now I even had a, a good friend of mine who even said to me, we know you're a Yank, but you're really Irish. So I've learned that transition. And believe me, back on the farm and back in my family in Dublin, they would tease you. They made fun of us, the way we talked, the way we thought. You don't understand the language because, you know, Irish, I mean, English in Ireland is really many ways based on the Irish language, which is inverted. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you would say something and the crack, it was good. Okay. Crack. When I first heard it from my auntie, I, I assured her there was no drugs at the party. But crack is an old Irish expression. Good fun, good talk. It's that stuff from the, that vibe in the pub that they all live for. Like just a bit of fun and some scintillating conversations. So, and the crack was good. It's like that's reverted, you know. And they say things like grand many different ways, but grand can be mean terrible too. So, a lot of Americans don't realize they're being slagged because they're speaking English. Mm -hmm. Also. The East Coast slang, if you know, there's a gentleman named Danny Cassidy who wrote the Irish invented slang. There are many slang words, especially in the East Coast, but also coming from San Francisco, where a big Irish population, that are Irish. The word jazz means hot, fevered heat. and mm -hmm. was first used in San Francisco to describe a ball player running around the bases and he has full of the jazz, you know, and that word became something interesting. The word slugger. Why do you say so long in America? You don't say so long in England. It's schlonagat. So they would say the Irish would be speaking. They'd be working on the railroads. They'd be working in the construction. And they'd be going schlonagat. So it became so long. And the best one is when someone says baloney. <laughs> it has nothing to do with bologna. It doesn't. <laughs> it's beyond not at all. <laughs> not at all. It has to do with, uh, I'm not going to say it right, but Bilana. Bil, like Belfast means mouth, the mouth of the river. Bilana, mouth of foolishness. <laughs> so somebody would say something, you go, Bilana. It became baloney. There's hundreds of words. Cop, slugger, I think I mentioned that one. There's so many of them. And when you look at the dictionary and they go, uh, origin not known, because it was Gaelic, it was Irish. Mm. Well, and, and Irish is such a funny, it's a funny language, much like a, a Hungarian or something where you have, you know, if you're coming from a, a Latin or a, or Germanic based, it's like, where are all the vowels or, or, or it's like all of everything is sort of all jumbled together. And sort of how do you pronounce that? It, it's very hard to look at it and say, oh, yeah, I get how that's pronounced. And, and there's so much more of that than there is even in the Scandinavian languages where you have, you know, an SJ or an SK that is soft. You know, there you only have a few examples of that where you're the H. Whereas in Gaelic, you can see things, you know, even when you look at people's names and you try to, to speak them in English and you completely butcher them, you know, like oh, yeah. Kaylee. You can't look at the name, you know, no. like, you know, how would you get Neve hmm. at N I A M H? But you have to know M H is a V sound, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and also different regionally, they spell it differently. 
actually Irish is a really, it's an Indo-European language. So it came from the Sanskrit, you know, root as everybody else. However, it's more closely aligned to Hebrew and Arabic in its structure of its prepositions. You look at languages and how they handle the prepositions. You know, Spanish is so hard for prepositions. And it has a, that, that, to say, it's really hard. It's almost like you really, you know, all the, all the Yiddish kids in my, my, my Irish class were really, really good at that. Welsh is the other one. They're the still Gaelic, but they're different branches. So if I speak Welsh, I don't speak Irish. Mm-hmm. And they have strings of consonants all together. But you have to know in Welsh, Y and W are sometimes vowels. And yeah, it's crazy. It's a crazy, I mean, I, my grandmother would do something because she was in, from a Gaelic area. One of the last one of the places that was known for being almost very pure Gaelic is it's in a mountain bowl. It's where the Shannon River rises. It's called Glengevlin. It's kind of brigadoony. Let me tell you, it was a little scared when I was a kid going out to the outhouse. It was like, ooh, there's banshees out here. But anyway, <laughs> she would say things to us when we were kids, you know, and she would say she would use Irish words or Irish expressions that we thought were English until we went to school. Mm. And I would be calling a kid in school, you're an Amazon. And they go, what's that? I go, you're an Amazon. I kept saying it, you know, and different expressions. Like my mother would say, go inside when we we're in the kitchen. That means get out of the kitchen. It made no sense, but we are inside. But in Irish, that meant something else. So there's that kind of thing. I think the biggest difference, though, between the Irish and the Irish Americans is that there's a whole cultural difference. And they're not as, am- I wouldn't say they're not as ambitious as we are. They're not feeling as free as we are as Americans, you know, we believe we can do anything. We we still kept our, you know, our step dancing classes, but we did buy into that what was once the American dream. They are a little bit more like, why are you standing out? You're a blackguard. Why are you know they 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 slag each other. We call the word slag. And they, they need to get over that because that's a that's a post colonial, you know, reaction. So but you can find did- that very different in, in for an American. I, I I get to them and go, why are you always bringing each other down? I mean, that's ridiculous. Mm. I do think that some of that comes from, you know, sort of the people that left when, you know, they were persecuted. So whether they were coming from Scotland or whether they were coming from, that were persecuted by the English or whether they were coming from Ireland from escaping famines or whether they were coming from other, any other part of the world for that matter. And, you know, talk about global mobility. They are often, they came seeking the American dream. They came because they were attracted to that difference. And so the ones that stayed maybe felt more secure in the way it already it always was, as opposed to the ones that there's a lot that left. There's a lot to it. They just couldn't get back. You know, yeah. none of my relatives that left Ireland mourned the day that they left Ireland. Nobody wanted to leave. They mm-hmm. left because they were being starved or being shot at, you know, by the Black and Tans or by you know in the Civil War. They all thought they would go back. But but now the interesting thing is is that we used to have a thing called American Wake. So when you left to go to, you know, as an 18 year old, like my grandmother, they held your wake for you because they knew they wouldn't see you again. Mm. So it's called the American wake. And so, but I think you're right. But I think once they got over here and they didn't have the domination of the church, which was unbelievably oppressive. I remember that as a young kid, I go, I'm going to punch these nuns who are cut in front of me in the movie line. You know, there was like, there was, you know, really, I'm like, they go, no, 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 you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty bold, you know, I'm like, I'm from, you know, I'm from the States, you know, there was that oppression. But now let's look about Ireland. Ireland is the most liberal country in the world. They approved gay marriage. They got rid of the abortion. 
They're accepting and encouraging refugees to come in there. They are really a beacon of hope in the North Atlantic. And it's a small little island that came from such a repressive and, let's say, depressed background in the 80s to where they are now. And look how they responded to COVID. Mm. I mean, Leo and Simon, you know, the, the, the Taishak and the Taishak and the Taishak, that's the they just acted in, you know, Leo is a physician. So Leo Avakar is, is the Taishak. Oh, the Tana State, oh, anyway, doesn't matter. Somebody in Ireland will, will slag me for not knowing this, but nobody else really will. <laughs> so it's very interesting to see this country that just completely everyone thought was cows and Mother McCree to be the home of you too, you know, the home of Seamus Heaney, the home of we're incredible innovations coming in what's going to save the world right now, the post-COVID world is Drake, you know, deep tech. And this is, you know, our friend Tess Mateo, this is what she's been preaching for so many years, deep tech, renewable energy, agriculture, which is the largest polluter. Okay. Also, we're going to have famine. We're not producing enough. So that's how the wars are going to start again transportation and education and of course now healthcare of course you know with vaccines and stuff and ireland is leading the way with a lot of these they're calling it more like frugal innovation they don't have the big companies and the big form they, they're, they're a little scrappy i mean look at these these uh, 25 year old people who, who founded square yeah they're multi-billionaires and they were homeschooled by their two professors you know from limerick and limerick was considered to be limerick is, is sort of like let's say the Hoboken of Ireland, you know. <laughs> so there's a lot of innovation. To that point with the innovation space, I mean, you have done some really exciting things in terms of gathering really, you know, innovative events and speakers and putting together things in Ireland to really gather sort of the the thought leaders to create change and to really encourage innovation within a space that's that's really bridging not just the cultures, but really bridging sort of the, the your two worlds. And can you talk a little bit about that because I think there's you know some of it is really focusing on women, but another another piece of it is really just about like STEM and education and really making sure that innovation is happening regardless of what has happening in the external system. I think that's a really interesting point, and this is something I've tried to promote because as an outsider looking at Ireland, you know, as as an American looking at them. I joined, I didn't quite join, I just started showing the meetings, all of a sudden I became a board member of Digital Irish, which was in the early days just getting when the Irish providing them a soft landing in the tech companies in New York and in you want to meet a VC, we'll introduce you. Do you need sales people? That kind of thing. And it was it was good fun, good crack, as they said, but got really serious because we started really looking at what is the, what is brand Ireland, you know, and we want to call it the innovation nation. And in fact they're Enterprise Ireland and the Department of well, Foreign Affairs is calling it that because there's a special quality. It's a Celtic quality. You know, it's that the dreamer, it's the people who know poetry, it's the creative side, as well as the maths and the sciences. A friend of mine produces Al Pacino's One Night Only, and he was in Dublin the day that they decided for gay marriage. And he's at the Grand Hall. And he always does Oscar Wilde, no matter where he is. So he was recited the poem, Reading, uh, his poem from Reading Prison. The whole audience knew it by heart and recited it with him. Wow. So what we've, the future is when the both hemispheres are flying, 
you know, left and right brain, creativity. You know, I don't hire programmers for my business unless I see some sort of a time-based art. I want to see music, dance, filmmaking. I want to see an empathetic skill, a creative skill, as well as an analytical skill. So I think Ireland has that special brand because we still, I mean, you go home, they go, okay, give us a song. Like It's nothing to sing at the table. And mm-hmm. if you don't have a song, they shame you. <laughs> you know, so it's there's a there's a brand Ireland that we're playing with is that kind of innovation, and we need to innovate quickly post COVID. It can't be like you know seventeen years of clinical trials. We don't have that. Well, and I don't think it's necessarily even post COVID. It's mid COVID because we're going to be in this for a while. And oh, yes, exactly. and I think that you know you can't just sort of put your head under a pillow and say, I'm just going to, you know, wake me up when it's over. You can't do that. It's not possible at this point. I mean, for a month, maybe you can sort of be like, I'm in trauma phase, wheel spinning, what's happening. But come on, people. The thing is, as we were talking about a little bit in the green room, is so many incredible opportunities are arising from this as well. And some of them are just about the opportunity to transform, the opportunity to fix systems that were broken, the opportunity to reflect and get perspective and be able to realize what we can do, the possibility, and realize what resources we have close to us without having to reach out to other resources. It's an opportunity to really sort of reassemble and redesign and be scrappy, like you were saying, to sort of say like, okay, well, maybe my resources are not the same as I thought they were before, but I can create something from this. I mean, I think... (laughs) On a simple scale, the other day, I was trying to make face masks for my family. And of course, you know, I'm looking at one of these tutorials, you know, how to do it. And of course, they give you ideas for different things that you can use for the bridge of your nose so that it can mold to your nose. And of course, I didn't have any of the things that they were describing. And then one of them is that, well, you know, worst case scenario, you can use a, you know, a paper clip that was, you know, a bent paper clip. And I thought, wait a minute, that doesn't seem, you know, and and then I, so I took two paper clips and I put them in duct tape and I, you know, put them together and I bent them. And anyway, it worked fine. But, you know, otherwise, had we not been in that situation, I'd have been like, okay, I'll go on Amazon and I'll order something and it'll be here tomorrow. And I'll just, you know, order the things that are already made. And, you know, I certainly wouldn't have made the mask myself. I wouldn't have taken the time to do it. But instead... I used an old pillowcase that nobody's been using forever because my daughter decided she wanted to change her room. And I made masks for everybody in the family. And okay, now we have our masks. And I mean, it was completely tearing apart what we already had. But that's what we need to do is we need to look at where are our efficiencies? Where can we really do things in a more sustainable manner instead of just throwing out the old and or throwing out things or not even throwing them out, just accumulating more where you end up with all this e-waste, you end up with all of this excess, and it's not very efficient anyway. So I think this is really an opportunity. We've gotten lazy. You know, I think as I tell you, another interesting thing that happened, you know, basically because of COVID, I think basically is you have to have your own MacGyver moment and what you did, of course. And there are no experts anymore. There are no experts anymore. And no one has to give you permission. And let me tell you, You might say, oh, you know, when is, you know, I'm in the events industry and people say, oh, when we meet face to face again, I said, okay, great. Well, how many years you want to put that for? You know, you got pushed off the bridge. You've been disrupted. So start swimming, start experimenting. You cannot make a mistake at this time. 
And that's what I'm telling to young people. I'm really focusing my message and really about transforming the world, especially we go, our good mutual friend, Tess Mateo, introduced us to the Club of Rome, and they did all the meta-analysis on achieving sustainability. Now, first of all, you don't have 17 sustainable goals and you think we're all going to get there. It's like a clown car in a car wash. Are you kidding me? So they did all the analysis and they broke it down to five things that needed to happen. So that's our message. And I, it's very simple. Renewable energy, agriculture, good governance, and we're going to see governments fail because of COVID. And our government is on the precipice. Oh, okay? yeah. It has never been this way. I've never thought this day would happen, especially for our civil rights. I'm delighted this day has happened, but we are on the precipice of going into fascism. I mean, totally into there. But I think we will prevail. I think COVID has accelerated us. We've been, we just don't want to take it anymore. And we learned maybe better empathy and we learned to be scrappy and we've learned to love our neighbor. You know, I was feeding the homeless man out the window in New York City with spaghetti and meatballs in a plastic bag delivered, lowered by a broom. Okay. I was like Ralph Crandom, like Norton, get down here, you know? And I would give him gloves and I'd throw a $20 in it because he can't panhandle. And, you know, these are those moments you live for where you open your heart. So I say to young people, because I was supposed to teach a class, a seminar at the Newhouse School of Communications, Syracuse University. The professor was very interested in the work that I did with Tess Mateo and the Equality Moonshot, where what we did was we captured a conference, the International Day of Women and Girls in Science, a year ago on uh, February 11th. But both Tess and Chanteline Carpentier, who's the chief of UNCTAD, which is trade and development, they're responsible for the SDGs. We curated specific content within it. I captured that content on my meta meetings platform that I do, you know, my live, virtual, and now hybrid, well, coming soon with hybrid events. And then we looked at the footage and then we harvested the thought leadership, the aha moments, the pivot moments. And then we cut them. We call them snippets, little video snippets, and then sent them out like Luke Skywalker, you know, bing, bing from the mothership. And we're trying to say if we can spread the thought leadership, spread women's thought leadership, bypass the media. We are the media. We don't need permission anymore. I can do it. and I'll tell, teach you how to do it. And so send it out there. And so what we realized, we knew that whoever the speakers were, many people like one woman in particular, that's a hundred thousand people who follow her. So when I sent out a snippet that she was announcing what the equality moonshot was, I sent it out on a Sunday night. It was a minute long video on Facebook. And we had just started. We had no amplification. We had no pay. We were just like bootstrapping it. I looked at it Tuesday morning. There were 2000 views of that video snippet of our message. We didn't even have 500 people at the conference. So that told me the exponential potential of spreading ideas, the democratization of ideas, and creating networks of interest. And you find those networks. By the time we were done doing this, we had a huge following from Nairobi, from Kenya, some brilliant female scientists there. And that's where our, our darling Watali Matai, former, you know, the woman, the Greenbelt Movement, who won the Nobel Prize for the Greenbelt. I had the honor to have tea with her once, which was still my greatest honor. Yeah, we women, we got to do it for ourselves and we got to seize control and not ask permission and have a lot of fun. 
So what happened was the professor loved this because it's harvesting content, repurposing it and making it much more explosive, you know. So he goes, let's do this in the summertime. We'll duplicate in a quality moonshot. I'll give you 12 top graduate students. I'm going hot. Dude. That's great. You know, that's wonderful. So COVID happened. He goes, okay, I got seniors. I got recent graduates who are not going to the Olympics for NBC. They are not going to be the South by Southwest interns. And they're sitting at home in their parents' house. Let's do what we were going to do in the summertime. Let's do it now. And I said, you are insane because we were so busy producing our, the banks didn't stop. Mm-hmm. They canceled one conference and it's being <laughs> rescheduled because they have to trade. Yep. So I said, you know what? This is what we must do. So we got our equality moonshot ladies together and they said, well, we, well, we want to do the, we want to do the conference. And we of course argued and had our different points of view from the Germany and Shanghai and you know, all these calls. Finally, our friend Paola Ferrari says, you know what? We, cause I had this whole new house school. I had this mm-hmm. bank of talent, you know, they go, just give it over to them. Let the youth, let the Gen Zers, mm-hmm. let it be from their voice, their authenticity. Stick a fork in us. We're done. It's their time. And we have to empower them to change the world. So I said, that's a great idea. So he picked up a, a star student. I called an intern who happened to be Tessa's next door neighbor and her daughter's best friend, who was a brilliant girl, a brilliant young woman, Sophie. And I said, Sophie, what are you doing? She goes, I'm walking my my dog in Vermont. I go, get to a computer right away. You're going to be very busy. So we did this and we did it in three weeks. And we created, like they called themselves, they named themselves. We gave it to them. They go, this is you. We want no ownership in this. We'll, we'll, we'll give it, we'll get it, and we'll get out of your way. It's This is your show. And uh, so anyway, they called it Watch Media. Like They're ongoing. And that means we are the change media. And I couldn't be more proud. It's an hour program. And it goes into all the things we're talking about, Drake and empowering the young, empowering women and get busy. You cannot make a mistake. So anyway, I think I digress a little bit about the globalness of Ireland, but that really that kind of I do also it's called the Innovation Lab, the Digital Irish Innovation Lab. We started it in April because we just had to reach out to our network. So I called the first one, you know, we usually do our events in New York at seven o'clock. So I, I did a come all ya to all my friends in Ireland and they go, don't you realize it's after midnight, but seven showed up, you know? So I said, let's do it now at one o'clock New York time. So we get, you know, have a sandwich in New York and have a cocktail in, you know, London or Dublin and we do it on a topic. And then we um, basically will have speakers or we'll do certain, you know, basically all about innovation, all about how are we going to find find the opportunities post-COVID and how we're going to fund it. That's all I care about. And so this episode we had on Tuesday, we had uh, Rowan Dunn, who is a Dublin native, mm-hmm. who is the head of Verizon's consumer group. Now he's responsible for the rollout of 5G. That's going to exponentially change our lives. Okay. And he also is a big supporter of One Young World. So he has that, we, we share that empathy, that that mentorship for young people. So that, I asked him to come on the show. I had a meeting with him and he goes, I can give you 15 minutes between here and here. I go, done. You can get anybody now because they just dial into a Zoom. And then my dear friend, Mary McKenna, who's an incredible entrepreneur and has had a circus. She's had more careers almost like me. And now she sits on the, the European Innovation Council and they're the ones who fund what's going to save the world. The Drake, we're told, but they're funding, you know, and they, they usually do their 2.2 million euro 
And it's, and it's very interesting. So she's very much involved with that. But then the new president has taken over. So Ursula von der Leyen, did I say it right? I think so. And she didn't mess around. So the next call that they're going to be seeing people in the next few weeks is on the new Green Deal. So, you know, submit stuff with renewables. And it is mandated. 25% of the companies that get awarded must have a female CEO or a female senior member of the team. No more male pale and stale standing up there. No more. Got a lot of flack. And she said, I don't care. Well, I think, yeah, I think we're we're at this place right now that you know we there was a big co- a conversation prior to COVID of really how do we get a seat at the table and you know what the table's gone there, there is, is no table there is no <laughs> table Jerome <laughs> there there is no table but it also it yeah. opens it up for whoever's got a voice that resonates and so it's a very different opportunity it's an opportunity for the youth it's an opportunity for for women's voices who have something really powerful and positive to say. Also for those men's voices that haven't been able to stand out before, it removes that golf course network. It removes all of those networks that are so reliant on the buddy system. And now all of a sudden it all depends on like, do you say something that resonates for people? Then it's Mm going to get volume. Like you were saying, you know, it goes out to this one person and all of a sudden you've got five, you've got 2000 people that are watching it that wouldn't have watched it before. And I remember so much, you know, for, for years speaking at global conferences and in the tech space and men would say, well, you know, the reason there's not so many women speakers is there's just not many to choose from. The event that I went to that, that you invited me to speak at actually in Warsaw was the first tech event that I had ever spoken at, that there was more women keynotes than men. And that was, that was a first. That's a beautiful story. And I'd like to go on that story because, you know, it was Yoita Muscala. And when basically she's a friend of Tess. So if you're a friend of Tess, I mean, it's a, this is a global summit of women network. <laughs> and we're also yes. working with Irene now because we oh, want good. to take her to the digital age. Yeah. Good, good, she's good. a wonderful woman. Yeah. She's yeah. fantastic. So, but, but she's very, and she's very analog, but she's becoming a digital native very quickly, which I must, I'm happy to report. So anyway, Tess basically said to me, you know, Marianne, you know, we didn't need some help because the men at her firm who wanted her to do this event pulled the plug on it. Even though she had, she almost had the agenda all done. She was all there. They just cut her off at the knees because they go, we've never done anything like this and we're afraid. And she's already done the work. Okay. So I go, Mm-mm-mm, that's not going to happen. So I jumped in there and whatever I could offer. And another friend of ours, Lisa um, Suluj. So you had Singapore, New York, Warsaw. We were sourcing give it, get it, or get off, you know, mm-hmm. people from friends from MIT, from Nokia Bell Labs, blah, blah, blah. We're getting anybody we could. And then, so Yuita was very gracious because I was just, you know, I'll, I'm going to do the, the streaming and I'm going to do like AI to match the attendees. I'm going to do all the analytics at the end because it was my, I could play with all this stuff, right? So she said, the morning of, she goes, you're coming on stage with me. As I announced, one of the most first fourth industrial technology conferences is a Davos quality. It was the level of the speakers we had from all over the world. And we went, what? So this woman tweeted, you know, a Polish, she goes, when I saw three women walk on the stage to open up a tech conference of this caliber, I felt that I had come home. Mm. Optics are everything. 
Yep. And I remember that. So that was that was one of those that was one of the sisterhood. Say, Marianne, you have to help her. I go, okay, fine. No worries. I'll do it. And I learned a lot and get great friendships. But it's interesting. I think I just wanted just to go back to it's with the young people. They don't need to ask permission. You know, they have it's almost like Dorothy with your red ruby slippers. You always had the ability to go back to Kansas. You just have to just believe that and jump and do it. You know, jump out the window. There'll be a horse there like Portos, you know, the three musketeers. <laughs> and we're there to help you. You know, yeah. you, you'll get a little bruised. But so what? Listen, nobody knows. No one has the rule book. So in this vacuum, seize the media, seize the message, seize the radical, rapid and frugal innovation to get us all back to the better reality, a better future for everybody. So that's what we did with it, with the watch, with the watch team. They go, how do we, how do we address Dr. Mariana Bozian of the Club of Rome? Hi, Mariana, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> so it's really opened my heart. I had to learn to become a coach, not, they call me Fierce Pierce in Dublin for a reason. There's it, been a give and take and I'm very happy for it. And one thing, on the Digital Irish program with Mary and with Rowan, the two of them could have their own TV show or run a, or run a country after that, that brilliant. We were announcing that uh, their European Union is going to be borrowing $750 billion to build a better future. And it's all really based around Drake. And you know the women are going to get the lion's of their fair share of that, okay? And one thing Rowan, you know, is a very, very busy man. He says... What about all these kids who are sitting, all these young people who are sitting at home who don't have those internships, they're not traveling on the J-1 visa? He goes, I offer four hours a month of my time to mentor. He says, we should have virtual internships. And I have a meeting at the Irish Council on Monday to talk about how we do that. Without the, with the diaspora, it doesn't, doesn't have to be nationalized, but the, you know, the Swedish diaspora, how many multinational countries in you you can give somebody a, you know an, an internship. At Verizon they didn't cancel any of their internships. They're all virtual now. Well, and I think to that point, there's so many opportunities for I don't even want to say kids, but for the next generation to really have the opportunity to connect with business leaders, with people that are because in a way it's cross mentoring. We're learning as much from them as they are learning from us. And I mean, I even see it with my own children who are Gen Z. In that, you know, we've got them working for us, you know, doing social media and, you know, running the Amazon and doing things like that. And they're learning as they go, but they learn a very different way. And so we're learning from them. Oh, wait a minute. We don't need to do this. You know, you sit there and you look at a manual, blah, blah, blah. blah. They, they watch two YouTube videos and off they go. And it's, you know, it's a very different process of learning. And there's a little bit of experimentation and there's a lot of, you know, classically a little little bit of overconfidence, but you know what? They don't care. They're just going to do it. And that's the way you should. And with a little bit of guidance and helping them to make mature decisions and, and whatnot, but that's part of what being an intern is. And even I, I found that I've reached out to some of the great organizations that enable you to get interns globally to be able to do some of the things that, you know, maybe I can put a little money in their pocket to help them out and then to do some of those things that you know, American kids aren't willing to work for five bucks an hour, but five bucks an hour to someone in the Philippines means a lot. And, you know, so to be able to have them help and where we can, I can actually train them to do something that they can actually use that skill to use it, you know, for to help somebody else and maybe make even more and eventually sort of raise that up. 
it's been a really interesting opportunity to really connect to all of those different resources and to connect my kids to those resources too, to say, hey, you want to do an internship? You can sign up for these for Upwork just as much as anybody else. And hey, you've learned how to do this skill set. Offer your skills. You want to go make some money? Maybe you can't go be a waiter right now, but you can go and you know help somebody with their, their Canva images for their social media profile. And Absolutely. so there's, yeah. there's a lot of really great global opportunities to connect and by, you know, by using the technology that's out there and for us of our generation to be able to say, we're willing to mentor and take that little extra time, but also to be open to what we can learn from them is pretty cool. Yeah, it's absolutely cool. And that's, you know, this process of watch, you know, here I'm like, you know, I'm the one who's been virtual events and, you know, I've been running a, you know, a small company, but a very, very, very mighty company that produces some of the largest webcast events in the world. I do a healthcare conference that has 500 live webcasts in four days, you know, and we do it with precision. So but what I learned from them is, first of all, you can't just give orders and do this, do this, do this, do this. You can do it, say it nicely. So they taught me to be better. And also they tell me things like, you know, listen, we watch our videos on our mobile devices and we usually have the sound off. So you must, you must have the text. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, that's smart. I thought it was great because you have different senses and more retention. Cause no, cause we don't even put the sound on. I'm like, oh, I didn't know. It's <laughs> so great. True. So we really have a lot of fun now because we are peers, yeah. and, but we're just from different generational points of view. I'm digital, but I'm not a digital native. Yeah, They are. Absolutely. And I think, that, that I think we need to be much more porous. I think we're gonna, the pyramid structure is going to be breaking down of our governments, of our corporations, and we're really going to get almost into like little design thinking collaboration clusters where you have every different color hat at the table. And it's the B students who usually come up with the best ideas. So okay? true. So this whole thing about experts and going to school, you're going to see huge disruption in education, higher education. Oh, absolutely. I'm not paying $50,000 for my, for my stepson to go to school. I'm just sitting yeah. watching a Zoom. Yeah. Why don't you go out and solve a problem? Why don't you and your friends go out and serve some people and then find you know, how you can build on this and, and then start collaborating with somebody over Zoom in the Philippines? Yep. Time is fluid. We can get anybody in the post-COVID world. Time is fluid because we're, you know, we're not constrained by physicality. That's so true. So, so it's very, it's a very interesting time. I wish I was forty years younger. <laughs> so, I, so, I mean, for again, them, but, you, know, you know, for them, the world is just the world. I mean, it's just you know, they're all neighbors, and I think that's one, you know, to sort of bring it home because unfortunately we're running out of time. And with you and I, we could go on for hours, but forever. <laughs> which we'll just have to do that later. But for me, one of the beauties of, you know, friends like you and for, you know, watching my kids grow up in this generation where they're third culture kids and you're a third culture kid. But, you know, for all of us, it's really, you know, being in this COVID time, we're recognizing that we're just all part of the same big globe and we got to take care of it. We got to take care of each other and we got to respect that and respect each other's differences, but also even more so how much alike we are and how much, we have to share. So it's pretty cool to see sort of, you know, your story coming in as a third culture kid, you know, growing up as a third culture kid, but now as an adult and sort of how that has influenced your path and, and certainly your passion for remaining connected to Ireland and uh, for wanting to help make change there too. And, and really, you know, 
share your skills. So I really appreciate, uh, I always love having conversations with you, but I really appreciate your perspective Wonderful. and what you're doing in the world. And your what you and Tess are doing is amazing. And at some point, I'm going to jump in there and help you guys because I just love it. And I, I really want to Oh, we're going to pull you in. Yeah, don't oh, worry. Yeah. We're still doing our formulation, but we, we definitely have a, a seat at the table for you, Heidi. So. Oh, yeah. No, I'm and I'm looking forward there. to it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I don't feel left out. I'm, I just feel like when the time is right, I'll be there hopping in. Anyway, it has been such a pleasure having you on the show today, Marianne. It's always just such a delight to see you and to chat with you. Thank you so much for joining and sharing your insight with our Global Nomads today. And thank you, Global Nomads, for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Thanks for sticking with us. If you did enjoy today's show, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of the great upcoming episodes. And you might want to check out some of the past episodes because we've had some pretty good ones. And if you really like today's show, always appreciate a rating and review. And don't forget to share it with us because we love to give back a little love for those who take the time. So thank you. And we'll see you next time. Bye bye for now.